Hello and welcome into a very special edition of Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson presented by We the Patriots USA. This is a uh, family edition of Faithful Freedom because we are talking about today the topic of autism and how many families are navigating this today here in America. We have JB and Jamie Handley joining us. They're going to talk about their upcoming movie Spellers and their journey of spelling to communicate. And then we have our very own Brian Festa, co-founder of We the Patriots USA, on with his son, Andrew. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Brian, it's so special that you bring your son, Andrew, on. And I know that you've shared with our audience how your son has autism and, you know, you guys have also waded through vaccine injury and through through the flu shot. Your family has been through so much. So it's very special for you to bring him on. Uh, share the audience a little bit. Give him another little brief uh, lowdown on, on the journey you guys have been through. Yeah. So I, I just want to be clear. Um, like I said, off air, Taryn, I, I really want this episode to be about, about JV and his son and their journey and the incredible movie Spellers. Uh, that is is out now in select theaters and should be out in every single theater in the United States. Um, and and they're going to have the bulk of this interview, please. Um, but, you know, obviously, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, this young man is why I am sitting in front of you. This is why he is the reason that we, the Patriots USA, ex exists. All right, it, just hold on, bud. Remember, just one. Carter can't talk about Molly, right? That's right, that's right. Okay, we're not gonna talk about other kids right now, but uh, <laughs> um, he's the reason why I got into uh, into this. Um, and obviously my amazing business partner, Dawn, has her own story as well, uh, vaccine injury story. But yes, he knows, he's aware that he was injured by vaccines. So it's okay for me to talk about this in front of him because he knows the whole story, right? You know about that. Um, when he was just about a year old, um, he was injured uh, very seriously by a flu shot. Um, and, um, you know, there were... Uh, there, there may have been a confluence of factors, but uh, as I believe our friend Dr. James Lyons Weiler uh, says, that you know the um, environment uh, sort of uh, loads the gun and the vaccines pull the trigger very often. I'm paraphrasing him, but um, he has a wonderful book, name? The uh, Environmental and Genetic Causes of Autism. Um, I don't that know. Gave me uh, we're not going to mention the doctor's name that did that. No, uh, but. Uh, I, I will say uh, another amazing book that everybody should be reading. I'm going to plug JB's book, How to End the Autism Epidemic, because that was uh, also uh, one of, that is one of my favorite books. Um, and I've cited it many, many times. And if anybody is not aware of the link between vaccines and autism, they absolutely should be reading that. But um, JB is now taking it a step further. Uh, not just to talk about the causes of what happened to his son, but to talk about how we can help these kids, especially to communicate, because we have very highly intelligent, communicative children in here that we can't always hear what they want to say. Even children that are verbal, like my son, Andrew, um, they can't always um, they can't always communicate effectively what they want to say, but they're so intelligent and we just never knew a lot of these children can read and we didn't even know it until we started opening the doors and giving them a means to communicate. And JB will talk about that. So this is just by way of introduction. And um, we both have, a, he had his son. So I said, you know what? I have my own story. Why not bring on my son too? Although I've never done that before, but um, sometimes people just need to see, uh, you know, how we got here and they need to see uh, our children. Uh, that we fight so hard for uh, along this, this journey. So um, anyway, thank you for the opportunity for me to be able to bring Andrew on here. And, and um, if you have any other questions, I'll answer them. But again, I want the focus to be on JB and his son and, and the movie Spellers. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for, for bringing Andrew on. And um, we're going to lead into our discussion with JB and Jamie by showing the trailer. If you're watching us on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Brighton, if you're watching us, you can see the trailer for Spellers coming out here uh, in special release in April.
there's never any doubt in my mind when someone walks into my room that they can and will spell for me, that they can and do want to learn. I'm gonna teach you how to do something new, totally new, which may feel a little bit weird at first. Autism can take you as a parent to a really dark place. The future is really, really scary. We had no real reliable form of communication, but we had to just basically guess for 20 years. I lost hope that I would ever be enough for them. Are all the parents fools? Are we trying to live visual thinking? No. I mean, what, what's anybody going to gain by this? There should be research, academic literature, focused strictly, specifically on this area to help promote it. We should have all been presuming competence in our kids, and we should have been encouraging them, telling them we knew that they were in there. It's time to shift that whole paradigm. There are 31 million non-speakers with autism in the world who are locked in a silent cage. My life will be dedicated to relieving them from suffering in silence and to giving them voices to choose their own way. Should schools choose to really work with a student's strong suit, autistics will become their morals innovators and leaders. The average autistic child can read and do math by age four, but can show it? Imagine the difference we can make in the world if taught how we learn. Wow. Here we have JB and Jamie joining us after watching that trailer. That trailer just gives me goosebumps um, watching it. So I'm so very excited to, to have you both on. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it, Taryn. Absolutely. And I'm just so blessed to to meet Jamie as well and to have just met Andrew, Brian's son. And we'll bring Brian in here in just a moment. But, you know, JB, for those like me who are not immersed in this world, I am so excited to learn alongside our viewers. If you can, you know, this film was inspired by your book, Underestimated. But if you can take us back to the beginning and, you know, take us through the timeline of of how your family started on this journey. <laughs> well, uh, Jamie, um, Jamie has autism. Uh, he has non-speaking autism. That's probably 40 percent, um, maybe even a little more of people who have an autism diagnosis are non-speakers. Uh, my first book to co covers uh, the whole story of, of how I think uh, Jamie ended up with that diagnosis. I'm not going to dive into it here as much. Um, but we were going on about our life and uh, um, in many ways reaching a state of acceptance as Jamie hit his late teens about the challenges that we would face as Jamie got older. And I think that something that your viewers need to appreciate is that um, when you have a child with autism, then certainly when you have a non-speaking child with autism, you are taught by every expert that they are cognitively disabled. They're treated that way in school. Um, everybody who interacts with them treats them that way. Even the most caring people generally, they talk to them like they're much younger than they are. Um, they presume incompetence, really. And um, at times my wife and I were guilty of that. We didn't know um, necessarily what was in Jamie's brain because because he had a very, very hard time communicating that to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what we discovered with Jamie, what was highlighted in the book, what's highlighted in the movie, it's actually very simple when you hear it. His disability is a motor planning disability, not a cognitive disability. So imagine if um, you wanted to move your arm and you couldn't. Imagine if you wanted to move your eyes and you couldn't move them exactly where you wanted to. I think the best analogy that people tend to understand pretty quickly is that of a stroke victim. And so um, I genuinely believe that every one of these non-speakers, you know, speaking is one of the most complex fine motor things that we do as humans. I genuinely believe that every one of these non-speakers, they have a motor disability, not a cognitive disability. But the motor disability is severe enough that speaking is something they can't do. And um, using their fingers and fine pointing and that kind of thing is something that they can't do. And 99.9% .9 of intelligence tests that we use require some form of motor. You need to point at the right answer or write it down or say it or whatever it might be. 
And so people made a very superficial and, and I think very wrong uh, analysis of these kids and put them all into the cognitively disabled category. And then um, as time went on, first a woman named Soma did something called RPM, which is a form of spelling. And then a woman named Elizabeth Vossler invented this process called spelling to communicate. And in the most simple of terms, she puts a 26-letter board in front of the child and they, they spell. And um, it takes a long time. And when you first start spelling, you're using really your gross motor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're just moving your shoulder, right? Moving your shoulder to spell. And it's been a more than three-year process for us to learn how to spell with Jamie. We're now, we're now to a mounted keyboard, meaning I don't hold it. It's just it's sitting in a little, it has a little cradle here. It's just like sitting here. And, yeah. and Jamie just spells that well. Um, I think the other thing that people don't necessarily appreciate um, about these kids, aside from the fact that, that I really think we got the whole motor disability versus cognitive disability thing wrong, is when I say that these kids are, are like capable of communicating, it's a lot more than that. These are extraordinarily intelligent beings, extraordinarily intelligent beings who are um, really capable and critical thinkers. Sorry, Jamie's expressing a little bit of stress, which is normal when no. you have an interview. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. So like Jamie right then, he's pressing his teeth into my shoulder and he's doing that to regulate himself, right? He feels a little bit of stress. He releases it, some of it on dad. It's a very normal back and forth that we have just for people at home who maybe don't have a child with autism because regulation is something that can be challenging for these kids, right? So at any rate, I think what people don't appreciate, even when they hear, oh, that's so neat that they can communicate, they still imagine them communicating in sort of a very simplistic way. It's like, no, man, you don't understand. Like, like Jamie can crank out paragraphs of really thoughtful, really complex language. Uh, he was doing like college level calculus almost immediately. You know, like he's- wow. He's like a highly intelligent, very complex being. And moreover, um, to it to a person from the non-speakers that I've met, they're they are extraordinarily sensitive. They are extraordinarily aware of everything that's going on around them, of everything that people are doing. Um, their observational skills meaningfully exceed yours and mine. And I think some of this is simply a product of having one of your senses effectively taken away, one of your abilities to communicate taken away, and you spend so much time in, a, in an observing mode. And so um, it's probably hard to imagine um, for someone who does not have a child who's a non-speaker with autism, the change that this had in our life over the course of a couple of years, which is what the book is about, is this journey. The book very sort of moment by moment takes a parent through the journey that we went through. So that the whole point of the book was to have a parent with a non-speaker read it and go, I got to go do this right now. That's kind of the purpose of the book. Um, the movie has a slightly different purpose um, because what's probably most shocking, once a layperson kind of wraps their head around, okay, so I get the motor disability thing. I get that we got the whole cognitive thing wrong. I get that they're actually like brilliant, amazing kids. Like this is, you know, this is a miracle. Thank God, you know. And then you're like, oh, and by the way, all the people who are supposed to like work with these kids and are certified with these kids, they deny that this is all real. So, oh wow, um, they say it's it's basically really sophisticated ventriloquism. And so um, you have you have the American Speech Hearing Language Association who certifies speech language pathologists, so they have a, a ton of power. Mm-hmm. Who have actually publicly come out and denounced spelling to communicate. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a giant problem. Parents go to try to get these services paid for in school and to have a, um, a regulation partner to spell with. And the judge cites the statement from the, they're called ASHA. So, um, the mm-hmm. ASHA statement and they claim it's pseudoscience, et cetera. And so we're experiencing a, a conflict that's very similar to other conflicts that we've had around autism where, the people who you'd think would be the most invested in helping these kids are actually denying this very thing because ABA therapy, which is the form of therapy that most children with autism use when they're a kid, um, presumes incompetence. It fundamentally wow. presumes incompetence. It's very, 
analogous to dog training. And um, many, many kids who come out the other side of ABA who are then able to communicate on a letter board talk about how dehumanizing ABA therapy was. And so you have the ABA therapy industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, and you have all the speech language pathologists all basically denying um, the reality of how intelligent these children are, you know. And so um, it's a huge fight right now. It's a huge fight right now. And um, do you want to take a little break? Yeah, take a little break. Yeah, you can come back in a sec. I think Jamie wants to speak soon. So, I mean, rather type soon. So I'll bring him back in a moment. Um, yes, I would love to have him yeah, showcase no, I, that. I know, you, I know you would. I know you would. And I think he's uh, excited to say something. So we'll have him come right back. Uh, well, I love that. And, you know, what you're saying right now just completely uh, took me by surprise that that would be quite the the conflict. And I'm glad that you're bringing that to my audience attention because it seems perfectly logical to me as someone who is not immersed in this world, who doesn't admittedly know too much about it. It seems per perfectly logical to me that this would be a key that sort of unlocks um, a way for these, like you said, we perfectly intelligent people to communicate. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting about, um, Again, I think the stroke victim is the one that everybody kind of yeah. understands, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a stroke, you lose the ability to do certain things. And so you have to go through a ton of therapy to kind of regain neuroplasticity and movement. And that's basically what these kids do. Jamie couldn't spell on the first day. It took him a long time yeah. to learn. And one of the things that, just to get into the details for a moment, um, when a communication partner works with this board, initially they hold it. They hold the board, right? Mm -hmm. And the child taps the letters while the communication partners sitting next to them. And so this act of them sort of physically being involved with it, even though they're not touching the child or anything else, is the vulnerability to haters. They kind of say, well, you must be doing, even if the board is perfectly still, you must be doing some kind of hinting or something, right? So they, oh, wow. they, they pick at it from there. And so um, one of the things that's been really important for Jamie is to get to the point of mounted communication, because even Asha deems mounted communication reliable for for example if someone couldn't speak but they sit down and type on a computer what they want to say obviously i think everybody in the world accepts that well i still do sit next to jamie but he types now on a mounted keyboard i don't hold anything and by asha's definition this is reliable communication and so um it was really important for us to put that in the movie and jamie is probably one of several dozen mounted spellers, mounted keyboard spellers on the planet, many more are going are gonna to show up now because people realize how important it is that they have that independence. And it really puts Asha's entire statement at risk because if a mounted board is reliable, but he got here through this method, how dare you not allow him to have training wheels until he's at a point where you can do it independently. And so in the movie, um, Jamie spells independently quite a bit and he and one of his good friends are asked about the Asha statement specifically, so they have the opportunity to address that statement themselves. And so um, we really are going up against big autism. You wouldn't think there's such a thing, but ABA therapy is a multi-billion dollar industry. In California, that's what all the insurance for autism pays for is ABA. And this quite literally refutes their fundamental tenets of what they think about these kids. And... Um, I hope over time will completely change the way they choose to work with uh, non-speakers with autism. And, you know, Taryn, it's really funny. Like from the day that I sort of I, I got a phone call from a friend who had had this happen with her son. And this is how I learned about it. And, you know, she kind of immediately explained to me, hey, just just talk to them at an age appropriate level and read to them at an age appropriate level. And it was such a simple thing. You know, and we started reading like, you know, age appropriate books. Late high school was Jamie was 17 at the time. Uh, he's 20 now. And uh, he would sit there so attentively listening. It was like he was like, thank God, you know, you finally like figured this out. I've been bored blankless for like so long. And um, it's just crazy, like how much it changes your whole life. Like so right now I'm in a hotel room in San Diego because um, people who read the book will know I'm. We're, we're spelling with Don Marie. She's his favorite uh, spelling therapist. And we continue to, to work on it because um, Jamie wants to go to college and he wants to be on a mounted, normal, flat keyboard, 
right? Just like you and I type on. He yeah. actually can do it fine. He does that fine now. He can he can type with two hands, no problem. When he's uh, being interviewed, I bring I bring the mounted board because it's just a little bit easier for him. But day to day, he just uses a flat keyboard now. And this is what he really wanted to get to before he went to college. And so, um, you know, it's just it's just crazy how much treating him normally. Well, what I was saying was we travel a lot. You know, travel used to be kind of lonely with Jamie because I just didn't know how much he understood of what was going on. Now we're checking stuff out. We're going on tours. We're talking. We're hanging out. We're interacting. I mean, it's like any it's like any other kid, right? It's like you're you know, it's just a beautiful thing. And and like this is our new life. And um, it's just so crazy. Like parents of of kids who are non speakers who are getting into their late teens and early twenties, it's a really stressful time for them. Because it's like, what the heck are we going to do for the rest of mm-hmm. child's life? And they can't even tell us what they want. And um, and then this comes along. And, you know, my wife and I went from, you know, what are we going to do to which college is he applying to? And that really is our next plan. Like, and it's kind of funny. Like, people will say, like, oh, well, are there, are there colleges with, like, really good autism programs, you know? And it's like, you're not really getting it yet. Like, so the colleges that have good autism programs, they're, they presume incompetence. They teach them how to like balance a checkbook. We're trying to go get like, you know, a master's in neuroscience. Like we're not, we're looking for some minor accommodations around like, just like things are a little bit harder for him to generate output. Like, so maybe some extra time on a test or something like that. But this isn't about like special treatment. Like this guy's probably smarter than every other kid in the college. Mm-hmm. We just have to help him get it out. And I think that's, People are like, you know, it takes them a while to like wrap their head around this. So, oh, and I love it. And I love to see your passion for sharing, you know, the success that you all have had so you can help other people. And I want to bring in Brian, who we had at the beginning of the show. I want to bring him in to to react to some of the things that you're speaking to, because, Brian, I'm sure you can relate to some of what JB is saying. Oh, Brian, you're on mute, too, by the way. Let me unmute you here. Sorry. There you go. That's okay. Um, but I'm sure you can relate to to what JB is saying here about how the journey and how that is and how people perceive your children and and all of that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I was sitting here listening, I, you might have seen me backstage because you can see Taryn. Yeah. I was nodding my head when he was talking about ABA therapy, presuming incompetence and big autism because my son's 11 now. So he's uh, you know quite a bit younger than JB's son, but 11 is long enough to know uh, what goes on with children in public schools and even the private schools for autism, presuming incompetence. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, I have met some wonderful individuals who are ABA therapists or uh, BTBAs uh, who are really, really in it for the right reasons and really believe uh, that what they're doing is profoundly, um, you know, helping these kids. And, And listen, I'm not saying that every single child in the world who has autism is as brilliant as Jamie. Um, However, I do believe that every single child has more, has more to give, has more to offer that isn't being, uh, that isn't, that isn't being shared with the world. And it's a shame because can you imagine being trapped in a body your whole life and knowing things and understanding, but people not thinking you can understand you know, it's almost like I always wondered, and I hope I never experienced it, how it must be to be like in a coma when you can actually hear people. Because they say a lot of times people in a coma, not all the time, depending on what level of coma, what kind of coma it is. But sometimes there's people that are presumed to be in a completely comatose state, but they're not. They can actually hear and feel things even, but they can't express because they're they're trapped. And how horrific. That's like a horror movie, right? Yeah. Like you can make a horror movie out of that. <laughs> and that's what this is for a lot of these children. Now, my son, as you heard at the beginning of this episode, he's blessed with being able to speak. If he had gotten one more shot, which was the next one was the MMR, he would he would either be nonverbal or dead, we are convinced, based on his genetic profile, his mitochondrial disorder, his immunological disorders oh. that we've uncovered now. He was in a very fragile state, still is in many ways. And that would have just wrecked him. And, and he would not, uh, he would either be nonverbal or be, be not here. We are convinced of that. 
Um, so we are blessed that he can speak, but even his speech is very limited in a lot of ways that it's what they call perseverative speech, where he'll often keep repeating the same things or get his brain will get stuck on something. And there's kind of an OCD kicks in too, because he also has pans, um, which we could do. You, you should actually, we'll talk about that tearing off air. We should do another yes. whole, whole, whole ex expose on pans and also mm -hmm. pots a related yep. uh, disorder and talk about it and really get into it. Um, and a lot of kids with autism also do have pans. It's been undiagnosed. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, he is blessed to be able to speak, but his speech is still limiting him because he's not able to converse the way that you and I are able to converse, sure. but actually he might be able to converse the way that you and I are conversing. He just needs uh, some additional uh, assistance. And I, you know, JB, we haven't gotten into it yet, but we're learning now from, you know, I haven't seen your movie yet. I've seen the trailer. Obviously, we just played here. And obviously, I've been following. I have some friends that do spelling to communicate um, and I've followed them on Facebook and sort of watch their videos and watch what they've been doing as well. Um, and I'm very, very interested in how it might be able to help verb, uh, you know, families with with kids who are who are verbal, um, because yeah. I've heard that it, that it can help <clears throat> them as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought it up, Brian. Um, so the term that's used is unreliable speech. And um, many kids with unreliable speech have a lot of perseverative speech or repetitive speech. And um, they do amazingly well with spelling to communicate. And um, you learn a lot about them. And um, the truth is that the repetitive speech is kind of a, a torturous thing that they're not necessarily even choosing, right, is what you learn from these unreliable speakers when they get on the board. And um, I think getting on the board helps them even regulate some of it if it's really like bothering them. So uh, I would give you like the strongest um, endorsement that I could to give spelling to communicate a try if you have an unreliable speaker with autism. Um, I happen to come down to San Diego here once a month. Dawn Marie, who is in the book, um, her clinic is in Oceanside, California, in North San Diego. So I have the benefit of seeing, you know, many different kids going in and out of that clinic. And Brian, there are many perseverative, unreliable speakers who slay the boards and outcomes their real, beautiful mind. And my personal opinion is that, um, you know, Strap and other things are behind the perseverative, you know, kind of speech that some of these kids have. Um, but the board somehow get underneath that and get down to reliability. So, yeah, I would I would definitely encourage any parent. And, you know, Brian, you're um, you're in a wonderful position because did you say Andrew's 11? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think that like when when parents have younger kids, they're always asking this question and it's like, well, they could probably start on the boards by seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in that range. Um, I think just knowing what we know, and so that you now know it too, just to start treating them age appropriately um, is is really, really important, right? Even at age 11, you know, and presume they're going to be like super sophisticated, you know, books on tape, whatever it is, whatever you can get, like real information into their brains is awesome. And if you have a child in Brian's son's age range, just be confident you have so much time for them to become fluent spellers. And I'm I'm seeing younger and younger kids who are gaining fluency and it's, it's pretty amazing. So, um, you know, you guys will have a journey in front of you, Brian, but it will, the outcome will be the same as the one that I have with Jamie. It's kind of funny, like Taryn. So, um, so many of the health freedom people with kids with autism have non-speakers. I don't know why, but they do. And, um, it hadn't really been a thing as much in the kind of biomed causation whatever you want to call the community that Brian and I both belong to as far as autism parents go. Um, it hadn't really been a big thing. And um, as you can imagine, once we had this success with Jamie, long before I wrote the book, I was calling close friends of mine and I was putting Jamie on FaceTime with them. Like, Hey, you really got to see this. Sure. And, um, you know, uh, the hit rate for anybody who gives it a try and, and, you know, Biomed autism parents are really stubborn and really hardworking and, and really into it, you know, and um, the hit rate on families that I recommended is 100 percent like it's it's 100 percent. So I, I it's kind of funny, like I'll 
I'll get these calls from people like when their kid finally breaks open, like there's a moment, right, Taryn, like you, mm -hmm. there's a method, there's a real method. And it's really important that people work with trained practitioners because mm -hmm. there is a real method. And you start by like pointing at letters and then you spell a word that someone tells you to spell and then you fill in a sentence. And as you can imagine, it's a progression. Sure. Well, there's a day and I talk about this in the book specifically. There's a moment where the kid all of a sudden spells their own thoughts. Right. Everybody who has gone through this remembers that moment for them. And um, it's magic. Right. As you can imagine, it's like I can't even imagine most emotionally intense, probably the most, you know, the birth of my three children getting married and like this moment. Right. These are like the biggest moments of my existence, you know, and. Um, every parent that I've recommended who's given a time has reached that point. And I'm so used to it that I get these calls and, you know, these people are like so emotional and I try to, I try to meet them there. But the truth is I knew the call was coming at some point. Like it, it always works. It just always works because they're all in there. They're all in there. Some parents will watch this and be like, yeah, I just don't know about my kid though. You don't know my kid. And it's like, yeah, no, I've heard this story, man. I've heard this story. I thought that too. They're all in there. Like I really, we really got this wrong. We really just got this wrong. And you know, Taryn, one of the, weird things about autism is like they clinically acknowledge that there are some people with autism who are like hyper brilliant right so yeah. this is like the weirdest this is a neurological condition where you have the most brilliant people in the world and the least like i don't think so I yeah don't think I, so. like that doesn't really make a lot of sense i think that's um, that's exactly what was coming to my mind when you were talking about all of this because you know that's that is the public perception that you know so many of these people that have autism are brilliant uh, so it, it, it was kind of, um, yeah, it was kind of contradictory in my mind, what they were saying. Yeah. There's a, there's a book called the reason I jump and it also became a movie. <clears throat> it's like number one on Amazon still within the autism category. And it's a beautiful book. It's, it's written by a 14 year old with autism. Um, what's really weird about that book is, um, it's a Japanese child. Okay. So the book was, was translated. Um, he wrote it on a letterboard, the book. Wow. But for whatever reason, they characterize him as like the one in a billion where you could actually get access to his mind, right? The book that Jamie and I wrote is like, hey, everyone can do this. They're all brilliant, right? The reason I jump, for whatever reason, they mischaracterize him as like the only child with autism where you can actually get inside their head. It's like, no, he's just the, the dude with the letterboard who kind of said it first. And it's So this just need to like change people's understanding of what we're we're really talking about here it's like no man they they really are all there they really are and and now i've met so many taryn i've met so many again i come to this clinic for a week a month right i see so many children i've met so many families who've had the exact same experience that, that we've had who are now planning for college for their child too who now see these great horizons rather than you know constraints it's it's just sad that there are 30 to 50 million like Jamie in the world mm -hmm. and maybe 2,500 to 3,000 who are spelling on boards right now, if we had to guess. Oh, wow. So, That's such a low number in comparison. We got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And I love the enthusiasm and the passion and the hope because, um, like you said, I'm sure once you've had that moment, you just want so desperately for others to have that moment and to share it with everyone and um, to unlock that for other people. And, you know, we'd love to, whenever Jamie's ready to to have him come show us He's how ready. he does it. He's ready. Lay awesome. a question out for him and he'll come back. I can see him from here. He's sitting right awesome. across right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, I would love to know, Jamie, do you remember that day? <laughs> you should have seen you should have seen his smile light up when you addressed him directly. He's been waiting. He's like, I'm so tired of dad talking. <laughs> go ahead, He's go like, ahead, my Karen. dad tells this all the time on my behalf. I know. He's heard this like a hundred times. Yeah. 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 Jamie, oh. I would love to know if, if what you remember of oh. that day uh, when oh. everything sort of unlocked for you and your communication with everyone and your father. Oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get there. Mm -hmm. Get there. Eyes up. Eyes up. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then, and then, get there. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Get there. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Go ahead. Eyes up. Eyes up. You got it. You got it. You decide. Eyes up. You got it. Get there. Get there. Get there. And then. And then. Yeah. It was life changing. He said it was life changing. Yeah. I like that. I bet it you was know, life changing. Um, I mean, I talk about this in the book, Taryn. Um, so he and I were in San Diego and he had this big open communication and we had to like drive to Palm Desert to meet my wife and my daughter that night. And I mean, Jamie had like the biggest cry of his life oh. that evening. I think that um, there was just so much emotion. I mean, we just, we, I mean, that was like, I can still picture my wife, Lisa, like, waiting in the driveway for us to pull up right it was like late at night and we'd come all the way from san diego it's like a two and a half three hour drive and it had happened it had finally happened right we've been waiting for this moment it had happened and and it was like we just knew like it was never it was never going to be the same like this really was real this was really effing real this was really like elizabeth Vosford who founded spelling to communicate like she was actually right like this is actually yeah this is actually real. And he had, I mean, he had like a two hour cry. He never cries. He had like a two hour cry. And I just remember me and my wife, my daughter, Jamie, <laughs> unfortunately his older brother wasn't with us. He was back at college, but we oh. just all laid on this bed and just like basically cried tears of joy until we were cried out. I mean, that was, it was the most intense day and, and it's only been better every day since. I can't even imagine how emotional that was. And, you know, I got emotional watching the the trailer, just just watching that couple minute clip. Jamie, what was that like to make that movie? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got it. Mm -hmm. Get there. You're doing great. You're doing great. Eyes up, eyes up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And then, yeah, and then, and then, and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got it. Go ahead, get, get there, get there. Yeah, get there. You're, you're good. You're good. I'm not gonna pick it up. I'm not gonna pick it up. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go through. You got it. You got it. You find it. And then, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It was stressful. He said it was stressful. Um, so Jamie. Jamie wanted to do a film and he wanted to have all his best friends. You can go sit. You can go sit. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, we were in this great autism school in Portland, Oregon. And as soon as we started spelling, uh, the whole school, like, like half the teachers turned kind of evil on us. They wouldn't bear witness to Jamie's spelling. They would quietly whisper that it was not actually him. Um, He's hypersensitive. He picked up on everything. He, they know, the non-speakers know about the doubters. As you can imagine, they, it really bothers them. And um, they felt a tremendous amount of pressure to perform on film in a way that would honor their fellow non-speakers. They really, really wanted to do a good job. And so you can imagine, like, it's a movie set. Yeah. There's lights and cameras and and everything else and and they're there spelling and and man we film them we film their fingers right like we leave mm -hmm. nothing to the imagination we want yeah. we want all those idiots to see for themselves what these kids are doing and um, so it was it, the the days when and you know these kids are challenged with emotional regulation it's just part of the condition and so you know the days when we were filming were heavy days. Um, there's an absolutely beautiful part of the movie. I won't give away too much, but one of the spellers demands that her part be reshot and um, comes back the next day to reshoot it. Wears the same outfit for continuities purposes, but she let us show some of the first day so that people could see that she hadn't hit the mark because she was too stressed and she came back and like nailed it. You know, her second take was, was unbelievable, but it's, it's, as you can imagine, non-speakers feel very strongly about other non-speakers and helping them because they, they, they feel a tremendous amount of gratitude 
for the position they're now in. You know, um, Jamie understandably had feelings of anger as well, and uh, towards us, towards me and my wife, towards his teachers, towards the world, as you can, none of us can actually imagine, but as you can try to imagine. Um, they also feel a tremendous amount of gratitude and they want to help these other non-speakers. And so, um, you know, the film, the film was really, really important to each of them. And the film, we actually got very lucky. We caught a beginner having his first open communication oh, wow. on film. Yeah. You know, that's a needle in a haystack kind of luck. Yeah. And, uh, and we have the mom, like we have the whole thing, you know, and it's, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, Beautiful. We have the valedictorian from Rollins College out in your area uh, on the film at the end, mm -hmm. you know, who's a non-speaker. So we run, we have a child with Downs, who, by the way, I, I'm i starting to believe that Downs is equally misunderstood and that the, the notion of their cognitive deficiency is also probably misguided. Certainly the moms I know who have Downs kids who also can't speak and spell would say, yeah, we're missing Downs as well. So we have a Downs non-speaker in the film as well um and and you get to hear the stories from the non-speakers themselves and it's just that's what's beautiful about the film oh well that's just so wonderful that people get to see all of that and you know for those that were listening to the podcast the show and and didn't get to watch i encourage you to go back and watch so you can see how jb and his dad uh jb and jamie uh were both there working together um, to get Jamie to, to answer some of those questions. That was really neat that you guys let us in on that and showed us. Brian, you're nodding your head. Uh, I'm sure there's just so much that you're thinking of as, as JB's talking. What's coming to mind well, for you? It's emotional. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I can relate, even though I don't have a non-speaker, because there were breakthrough moments with my son in his speech journey, his verbal speech journey, like the first time he told us he loved us. Uh, an autism parent hears that for the first time. I'm going to choke up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's something that is is magical, and and you can't. I mean, we were parents twice, um, but really parents, new parents twice, because we had our son first, and then we had our daughter who was neurotypical, who by the way is unvaccinated, um, and is uh, is exceeds every category. Um, you know, in, in, in her, you know, in the metrics they use in school anyway, to measure you, which are admittedly flawed, but, um, yeah, it's, this is emotional because I'm, I'm thinking also about what Jamie has now to contribute to society yeah. that if JB hadn't worked with him and done this, like the other spelling to communicate parents, um, that, that would have been lost. You know, he could have been. If he had a different a different set of parents than his mom and his dad, he could have ended up being one of these kids, you know, playing, you know, video games for five year olds and just watching, you know, preschool shows, uh, cartoons uh, for hours on the same loop over and over and over again. There's and and you know, there's unfortunately so many, so many, so many kids with autism that that's going to be their existence. That's going to be their future. It doesn't have to be. Um, but I, I just, I'm so excited to see uh, what the future holds for Jamie because hearing about, you know, his brilliance uh, and this detailed uh, in the book, what they discovered, but also um, as you watch this movie, which again, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I um, really am waiting the next question that I'm going to ask because you did say, Taryn, that I could be kind of like a co-host tonight. I did. Yes. So I would I, love for you to ask. ask I do have, have a question uh, is where can we see the Spellers movie? I know we're going to put this in the show notes. There's a link, I'm sure, to find it. And, and Taryn's going to put that in the show notes after this. But just so that people listening right now, because many people listen um, to this and don't necessarily even watch uh, or, or aren't looking at show notes as they're listening in the car or whatever, if you could please uh, tell the listening audience where they can watch this in the upcoming months. Yeah, so... The world premiere of the movie will be at the Phoenix Film Festival in Scottsdale, Arizona on March 31st. So we will, we have a showing on March 31st, April 1st and April 2nd. And 
<clears throat> because two of those three showings sold out, they added a second showing on Sunday the 2nd. So there's now four showings at the Phoenix Film Festival. So if you're anywhere near there, we hope you'll join us. It's going to be a serious non-speaker party. And then um, we're doing kind of a nationwide private screening event on April 30th. And we're using a platform called Kinema, which is cinema with a K. And if you go to spellersthemovie.com and click on watch, you can get the link to Kinema where you can actually host the movie yourself in your own hometown if you want to in like a church or a community center or your basement or whatever the heck. Kinema is like the it's like the Airbnb for movie theaters. And so it was a really neat platform for us to uh, partner with to get the movie into uh, as many different places as once. We already have over 100 um, uh, Kinema screenings registered on April 30th. So it's going to be seen um, pretty far and wide that day. And then after that, um, you know, we're, we're probably going to end up on YouTube before too long. I think that uh, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful film, so I love that we're going to show it in some movie theaters. Um, but our goal with this film was never to make a penny and always to make sure that every, as many families of non-speakers as possible got to see it. So being behind a paywall, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime, doesn't really feel ethically in line with what we're trying to do. So YouTube's free. So probably put it on YouTube early summer, late summer, somewhere in that range so that the world can see it whenever they want to. Awesome. I love that. And I think that so many people, even if you don't have a non-speaker in your life, I'm, I know that I don't, but I'm very interested in this movie. And I think that there's a lot that those of us that, you know, don't have autistic children can still take away from all of this. And, um, you know, especially those of us in the health freedom movement, like you said, some of the things that you're saying here um, really correlate with other fights that I know that we're, that we're waging and the battles that we're waging at all. It really. feels very, yep. I was, my wife and I were like, are we really here again? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it just, it, it, it baffled the mind. Like, like Jamie is such a clean speller when you see him in person. Um, and what I mean by that is just he's really precise. He hits the letters. You can sit there and watch his eyes track everything. He's engaging. When he hits return, he looks up at you. It's like he's communicating. No, nobody with a brain would doubt my son's ability that it's him communicating. And, and so to see that, and then like there are so many examples of how their communication leads to a happier them. They get their needs met. They tell you what they want. I mean, when I'm down here in San Diego, the kids like go running into the clinic to work with Don Marie. Like they're literally running. Like they're so fired up because they're finally getting this chance. You know, like you, there's so many things you see and then you have these idiots tell you that it's not true. And you're like, am I really here again? Is this really happening to me? Like these are the same people who claim there's, just as many children with autism today as there were 30 years ago. It's like the same damn thing. It's crazy. Where are all the adults? Where are all the 50 and 60 year olds with autism then? That's what I mean. It's just, it, it's maddening that people fall for these silly narratives. I didn't, I just didn't think I'd be here again on this front, but it's great. I mean, you know, and um, by the way, the idiots, they, they often, they often use the, uh, well, where's the science thing on our kids, you know? And it's like, if people were popping out of wheelchairs, you wouldn't be asking like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I just saw that, you know, do you have any science to show what's going? It's like, dude, the kid is literally spelling on a board by himself. And you're worried about the science. Like it's crazy. So, and you'd anyway. still have people though, JB, you'd still have people saying, well, they weren't really, uh, you know, wheelchair bound. They they really could walk, uh, and and they're or or they're faking it somehow. I mean, that's there, what there that's always really being like. doubters. That's mm -hmm. what it's like. That's what it's like for those idiots who. And, and again, at, at this autism school in Portland, where we, you know, we'd help build the school, there were teachers who would not bear witness. They refused. Like like it would somehow well, their head would explode or something. You're like, dude, you won't even like come in a room and just watch. No, I can't. I would risk my certification. It's like, man, you are really like, didn't you take some kind of oath to help these kids? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? So there's there are, these people exist. They're crazy, but they exist. So like, well, like the I doctors. That, I'm sorry, Taryn. I was going to say, I think a lot of people can believe that 
because of what they've seen over the past couple of years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you didn't believe it before COVID, you do now. You understand yeah. that like people can say really crazy things that are really not true. So, you know, it's getting back to the, the beauty of what the film and the book and this entire movement. And by the way, like Jamie and I are just messengers on the journey. Like we didn't invent this. We weren't the first. There's many non-speakers who've already graduated college. There's a, there's one who's in a PhD program at Vanderbilt right now. Like we're not like on the lead. We just happen to have a platform or wrote a book that kind of hit home, but like we're standing on the shoulders of so many other amazing people. And like, there's just more spellers every day. So they're just going to have to get out of the way. Like they don't, what's great about, about the spelling movement is the idiots can't stop it. There's no stopping it. So, and no parent, once they get to meet their kid and they don't care, I don't actually care about it. I only care about it when it, when I hear that like it impacts a family who wanted to get like services at a school or whatever, but like it has no bearing on my life at all. Like I don't, I could care less what they think. Right. I have my son. We're going to college. You guys can, you know, keep sending out memos about how it's, you're not sure it's real. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Oh, that is, I love how you guys are unapologetically um, sharing, you know, the wonderful blessings that have, that have come in your life through all of this. And I think a lot of people listening to this can attest just in general, when your eyes are open to something, how you just can't stop talking about it and sharing it with others and, and wanting to help others. And um, so I thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing your story. I know it blessed me so much, Brian, I'm going to let you have the last word here um, with JB. Well, I'm just kind of smiling because he's talking about Jamie going to college and I want to be a fly on the wall when he schools his first woke professor. <laughs> um, I really want to yeah. hear that. So you got to write a book about his college experience. I think that'll be the next one. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I've enjoyed tremendously listening to this JB and spending some time here. And uh, we appreciate you. Uh, taking your time out to join us on this podcast. This is, uh, we, we really uh, are proud of the work that we're doing here at We the Patriots USA. Um, and, and, and this is part of our mission. We, we do a lot with lawsuits, as you know, and we spend a lot of time in court. But the other arm of our organization is education. Um, and it's like you said, it's not about, you know, making money. Nobody's trying to get rich here. Um, everything that we gain as far as donations, uh, we do it so that we can continue to um, have these kinds of broadcasts and continue to file lawsuits to defend people who can't defend themselves. So um, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for sharing your story tonight and also uh, in the movie, which we will all be uh, rushing to go see as soon as we can. Taryn, maybe we have to uh, get a couple of tickets to Arizona and go see this. <laughs> yeah, or we could do our own showing. Yeah, mm -hmm. you could. That's a good idea. That's another good idea. Yeah. There's a big showing in Tampa, Taryn. You can hit me up for an address. If uh, are you on the west oh. side or the east side? I'm on the east side. I'm in northeast oh. Florida. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. We'll see if there's anything up there. Oh, I love that. I love that, Brian. We'll have to get you guys set up with one. Um, the new We the Patriots USA headquarters. And um, thank you so much for everyone joining us. And again, the movie is Spellers, and we will keep you all posted in the show notes and forthcoming where you can where you can catch it. So thank you, JB, and thank you, Jamie. He's right there. He can hear you. Bye, Thanks. Jamie. All right. <laughs> Bye.